So eight weeks ago, we started this series, Chiseled, Shaping a Life That Matters. And we were looking at Paul's letter to Corinth, his first letter to the church at Corinth to find out what he knew about God and what he had experienced about God so that we can understand what God's work of chiseling is all about on our minds and on our hearts. And we began in that very first week looking at an article that I saw in USA Today titled, How America Sees God. It was right there on the front page. The author wrote, in the USA, God, or the idea of a God, permeates daily life. Our views of God have been fundamental to the nation's past, help explain many of the conflicts in our society and worldwide, and could offer a hint of what the future holds. Is God by our side or beyond the stars? Wrathful or forgiving? Judging us every moment, someday or never. The writers of a book about this this idea of, of God said there's four different ways that Americans see God today. There's 28% of us who see God as the authoritative God, one engaged in history who meets out harsh punishment to those who do not follow him. 22% of Americans see a benevolent God. This God is engaged in our world and loves and supports us in caring for others. Then there's 21% of us who believe that God is critical, that he keeps an eye on this world but delivers justice in the next. Then finally, there's the, the distant God. 24% of Americans believe in a distant God. A distant God booted up the universe, then left humanity alone. Authoritative God, benevolent God, critical God, distant God. What color is your balloon? You see, life demands the truth. And the truth is true. No matter what it is, no matter what it says, it's the truth. And there's only one way to know anything about God. And Paul is going to tell us that way through his letter that we call 1 Corinthians. During this series, I told you that every 13 minutes, another 100 people, members of the wealthiest and best educated generation the world has ever known, begin reckoning with their mortality and asking deep questions about meaning, significance, and what they truly want. 100 people, every 13 minutes, every hour of every day until the year 2024. When the cold front of demographics meets the warm front of unrealized dreams, the result will be a thunderstorm of purpose, the likes of which the world has never seen. I talked to you in week three about moral fortitude. I told you that to sharpen your mind, you need at least six principles going on in your life. I will have someone I'm accountable to. I will let eternity into my life's perspective on school, career, and family. I won't let friends make bad choices without my moral two cents. I'll have a set of biblical principles to keep me from becoming morally wobbly in a morally wobbly world. When I let myself down, I'll ask for forgiveness and move on in grace and love, and I'll keep reaching out to the lost world Christ gave himself for as I become an integral part of the church, the body of Christ. And then Adam talked to you in week four about what it means to become an integral part of the church. He talked about your spiritual gifts and your giftedness in Christ. He talked about discovering your shape, spiritual gifts. How has God uniquely gifted you through his spirit? 
Heart, what makes your heart beat fast? Where do you find the most joy? Abilities, what do you do well? What type of activities do you enjoy the most? Personality, do you enjoy repetitive tasks? Or do you prefer to switch things up a bit? Experiences, what trial or hurdle from your past might be used to encourage someone today? What does your particular life space have to offer an emerging generation? He told the truth about our gifts. Our gifts were built into us when God formed us. Our gifts can be observed in childhood. Our gifts color all we see. Our gifts give only one perspective of the whole. And our gifts were given to be used for the benefit of others. When I taught you about love chisels everything, I asked you these questions. Where do I need to let love chisel on something in my life that needs to change? How can I let God chisel my current giving pattern into grace giving? What could be the best thing I could do this week if I let God do something through me, if I let God chisel my schedule, if I let God chisel my vision? In week six, I told you that there had to be something more, that everybody looks for something more. Everything is about something more. Every story, every movie, every every relationship is about something more. And I told you the story about a pie that was something more. And I went to New Jersey this week to have a pie that was something more. And I want to show you the story of that pie. Went to my sister's house. This is the table before it all began. It was set. It was beautifully set and appointed for the wonderful meal that was about to follow. This is the new kitchen. This is the bird that was there ready to be feasted upon. Here is my sister cooking up a storm in her new kitchen. It was all under the banner of amazing grace. My grandmother and my grandfather. Their strange relatives are there too. Uh, Then everybody's sitting around the table enjoying the feast. And then comes the dessert, the pies, the cakes, the homemade crust, the pies and more pies and pies from different angles and pies waiting out in the, in, the, in the outside area where it's cool so they'll be ready to come. And me eating pie, my sister serving me pie, and I'm eating several pies all at the same time. Hey, and then the table is empty and everybody's gone off to watch football games and to sit by the fire. It was a wonderful, wonderful Thanksgiving dinner. And whatever is something more for Thanksgiving was there at my sister's house on Thursday. Something more is about Christ living the life we could not live and taking the punishment we could not take to offer the hope we cannot resist. You're involved in the proclamation of something profound, I told you. You're an owner of the most valuable truth that exists in the world. You're a follower of a stunning reality. You're going to live forever And you can't even begin to imagine what that's like. Paul. Paul shows us the way to masterpiece. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. This then is how you ought to regard us. As servants of Christ. And as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must faithful. And in that, in that very small, pithy statement, he speaks volumes about what it means to be a Christian. He says, we all know that if, if anyone is given a trust, the person the trust is given to must prove to be faithful in that trust. And he's trying to speak to them about a great spiritual trust that has been given. Since God has, has explained the mysteries, God entrusted the mysteries that he explained now and he's revealed now, those, those mysteries that have been revealed are the trust 
that are, that are placed, that is placed in the hands of these apostles and these early Christians. And we must, at that time, Paul says, prove faithful to honor that trust. And the trust is about Christ and the trust is about God. And it's about God chiseling away at the early church and God chiseling away at people's hearts. He says, I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the hearts. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Paul says the way to live as a Christian is to realize that God is working on your heart all the time. And not to worry about what other people say, not to worry about what other people are thinking, but to get in alignment with what God is doing and allow God to do the fullness of his work in your life all the days of your life. That is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. In 1 Corinthians 10, he goes on to, to unpack this and explain it by giving a big picture that everybody understood, a, a wide-angle picture. Remember our history, friends, and be warned. All our ancestors were led by the providential cloud and taken miraculously through the sea. They went through the waters in a baptism like ours as Moses led them from enslaving death to salvation life. Remember Moses, everybody? Remember the Red Sea? Remember what God did? Remember how they went out of slavery into being a people who had the opportunity to be free, to have their own land? Remember that? They all ate and drank identical food and drink. Meals provided daily by God. They drank from the rock, God's fountain for them that stayed with them wherever they were. And the rock was Christ. And he's drawing a, a line from, from right there in that moment all the way back to the time of Moses saying Christ was there. Christ was in all that stuff because he's always been there. He always has been. He always will be. He was in the beginning with God. He's done all these things. Everything that was created was created in him and through him. And the only way you're going to have life is to have life in him and through him. He's saying to us, he's going, and, and he's all the way to, into the future here with us right now. It's all connected through him and all these people experience amazing things. They experienced wondrous miracles. And you would think that that would anchor their faith. You would think that then they would live lives of great moral integrity, of great spiritual vision. But just experiencing God's wonder and grace didn't seem to mean much. Most of them were defeated by temptation during the hard times in the desert. And God was not pleased. And so at that point, if you stop reading here, you go, yep, if it was, if it was me, I would have believed. If I saw the Red Sea part and I went through, I would have believed. If I ate man in the wilderness, I would have believed. If I saw a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire, I would have believed. I like it when God shows up. The same thing could happen to us. Just as we're thinking thoughts like that about, yeah, they should have done better. Paul says, Hey guys, the same thing could happen to us. We must be on guard so that we never get caught up in wanting our own way as they did. See, there's this, there's this subtle temptation always to say, yes, God, but 
yes, God, but. Yes, God, but I got to take care of this over here. Yes, God, but you don't understand my life over here. Yes, yes, God, but I need this in my life, God. If you could just do this in my life, God, then I could take care of stuff over here. We must, we must be on guard so that we never get caught up in wanting our own way as they did. And we must not turn our religion into a circus as they did. These are all warning markers, danger, in our history books written down so that we don't repeat their mistakes. Our positions in the story are parallel. They at the beginning, we at the end. And we are just as capable of messing it up as they were. So don't be, don't be so naive and self-confident. You're not exempt. You could fall flat on your face as easily as anyone else. Forget about self-confidence. It's useless. Cultivate God confidence. So Paul says, look, the only one that's ever going to judge us is God. You don't have to worry about anything else. You want, you want a peace in your life that goes beyond understanding? Then start worrying about God looking you right in the eye when you meet him face to face. And he says, you want to look back at those people who fell down and say, oh, yeah, if I was there, I would, I would have made it through. I would have been a leader. Don't get so arrogant that you miss how humbling it is to follow him day by day, year by year, to be God-confident, not self-confident, to not live a, a God-but kind of a lifestyle, but to live a, yes, I will show up every single day for whatever it is you want in my life every single day. See, Paul is explaining that if you really want peace in your life, these are the requirements of that peace. And then he goes on. He spells it out in chapter 9 this way. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. My job is to just show up and be a servant because I have a vision that sees more people knowing who God is because I was a servant than just because I stood around talking and trying to explain theology. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but I am, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. And right there, Paul spells out what it means to be a Christian. As a matter of fact, it's so clear that you can look at that passage in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 10 through 20, verses 19 through 23. And you could say yes or no, right there. Do I want to be a Christian? Do I want to follow Christ? That's what I have to do? Yes or no? And there's something brilliant about it. It's not knowing so much stuff. 
it's living so congruently with love and with grace and understanding. He's right there explaining the fact that you should be very conversant with the world religions. You should be conversant with the world religions so that if you end up sitting next to a Buddhist, you end up sitting next to a Muslim, you end up sitting next to a Hindu, that you're so conversant with what people believe that you can have an honest conversation with just about anybody in the world that you're just thrown into the mix with. He's saying, you want to follow Christ? Be able to have a conversation with anybody in terms of what they believe. And then he talks about people who are uptight. He goes, you want to have a conversation with an uptight person? You got to learn why they're uptight, why they're uptight about this and that and, and what their background of uptightness is. And then he says something really interesting. People who are without the law, I became like them. People who are just like going out and having fun and not caring about anything. I can go out and I can sit there and I can, I can be in a situation where everybody is, is lawless, but I can be with them because my heart goes out to them. And then he talks about the weak. One of the greatest examples of that to the weak I became weak is the, the life of Mother Teresa. She just went as God said go. And she was with the poorest of the poor so that she could not just tell them about Christ so that they could show them what Christ looks like and what he talks like and how he feels. And you look at that passage and then you decide if you want to be a Christian or not because being a Christian is, is living a lifestyle. It's letting God chisel away at your heart. It's not just a set of correct theological beliefs. Yes, I believe in the Trinity. Yes, I believe in God the Creator. I believe in, in Jesus who came to save us. I believe in the virgin birth. It's, it's all that, but it's so much more than that. It's really deciding you're going to live and engage this world with a heart that God has chiseled as a testimony of love and grace so that when you show up, people know there's something that's really different about you. Why are you different? You know what most people do? You know this, especially if you went to, to Thanksgiving dinner somewhere. Most people talk about themselves and what they do. Very few people listen and offer themselves as a servant. And Paul says, you know what I do? I listen. I offer myself as a servant because that is different and nobody does that. And when I do that, People then will listen to what I want to say to them when the time comes. And maybe I'll win somebody to Jesus Christ. He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. And you know that about everything in sports and, and everything in any arena of life. You get an award, you get a, a trophy, you get a plaque, and it's great. And for a moment, you just have that recognition. And then guess what? You've got to go back to work on Monday. Or you've got to go out and play next season. And it doesn't last. You have to keep doing it over and over and over again. Paul says, if people who have to win for a moment of recognition, understand what it takes. 
then we need to understand what it takes on a greater scale of spiritual training. What we're about to win will last forever. It will impact somebody's life for eternity. And so he draws the analogy from sports to faith, from competition to spiritual salvation. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. You know, I ran the, the hurdles in high school, the, the 120 highs, the 180 lows. I ran the hurdles aimlessly, like I didn't know what I was doing. It was a tragedy. If there was a video of that right now, you would laugh hysterically. There's no way, no way. me running high hurdles, the hurdles were taller than I was, and I was trying to go over and knocking them down and falling down, and the guys in the other lanes were trying to stay away from me. You know, when you run aimlessly, it is ridiculous. So Paul says, therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. In other words, this is not about talk for me. This is about really living it out for me. I really believe what I'm telling you. So you watch me. Paul often talks about himself and says, you watch me. You imitate me. And if you do what I do, you're going to understand what it means to live this life and to follow Jesus Christ. Masterpiece. He's telling you how to have a peace in your life that goes beyond anything the world has to offer. Back in Chiseled, chapter 2, I told you about a one-word question that was asked to Katie Kirk. God? She replied, I hope so. I hope so. I talked to you that week about the four questions you want to ask God. How much do I have to grow? You have to grow all the time for the rest of your life. It can be exhausting. It can be challenging far beyond what you can imagine. But it's the only thing worth doing if you believe that he is who he says he is. If he did what he did. If you're lining up with his purposes, how much do I have to grow? You got to keep growing and never stop. Who will help me with this struggle pain? Everybody's got struggle and, and pain. I talked to you about the balance of brokenness and blessing that comes into the Christian life. It's just part of the equation of living out this life, figuring out that balance. The third question is, which way do I go now? Always wanting to know, God, what do I do next? Where do I go? How does this work? And God will show you. He will show up in those moments at those crossroads, and he will direct your every step of the way. And then I said, you want an answer to the question, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do with my life? And I said, the answer to that question is simply this question. What are you doing that's going to last forever. Look at your life. Look at every aspect of your life. Look at every segment of your life. And you can just go, is that gonna last forever? Does that last forever? Does this last forever? God wants you to do stuff that will last forever. 
with all this going for us, my dear friends, stand your ground and don't hold back. Throw yourselves into the work of the master, confident that nothing you do for him is a waste of time or effort, Paul said. I told you that you're involved in the proclamation of something profound. You're an owner of the most valuable truth that exists in the world. You're a follower of a stunning reality. You're going to live forever, and you can't even begin to imagine what that's like. So what's masterpiece? The piece of your life doesn't come from everything being perfectly what you want it to be. That's what most people think it is. It's not. The peace of your life comes from knowing you are running the right race in the right way for the right reasons. And today, you can make a decision about that. Last night, we were in a car on our way to Newark Airport. It was late, and as we are getting towards the Lincoln Tunnel, there was a big jam up, and the driver was saying it's going to be slow because there's traffic. And, and he had the radio on. He says, I have to listen to the radio. And part of the breaking news, and I heard this several times last night on the way to Newark Airport, part of the breaking news in the New York metropolitan area, uh, arguably, you know, one of the, the most vast culturally mixed areas on the face of the planet, one of the biggest breaking news stories was that somebody put up a billboard outside of the Lincoln Tunnel that said that there is no God and that your prayers go nowhere. And people are up in arms because it's the holiday season and all these things, you know, are, are surrounding us about a baby being born and, and, and the message of salvation and redemption through Jesus Christ. And, and somebody would be as audacious as that to put up a gigantic billboard coming out of the Lincoln Tunnel where millions of people are going to see that throughout the season. You know, I didn't even worry about it for two seconds. You can put up all the billboards you want, for all I care. You can, you can tell a lie all day long and all week long and all your life long if, if you want to. The truth is that God showed up. The truth is that Paul's life was changed because of that. He was going in the other direction. He was persecuting Jesus Christ. He was on his way to a place called Damascus and he gets knocked off his horse and he doesn't know what's going on. He says, who are you? And Jesus says, it's me. It's Jesus. And I'm the one that you're persecuting. Get up, Paul, because I'm going to do something with your life. I'm going to chisel your heart. I'm going to make you different than you are today. And the, the rest of your life is going to be known by the whole world because of what I'm going to do in you and through you. And Paul was changed in a moment because the only way you can know anything about God is when God reveals himself to you. You're involved in the proclamation of something profound. You're an owner of the most valuable truth that exists in the world. You're a follower of a stunning reality. You're going to live forever. You can't even begin to imagine what that's like. But it takes a decision. It takes you saying, I will ask Jesus into my heart. I will let him do his work in my life. I will not regard what other people want out of my life as the most important thing in my life. I have a purpose to fulfill, and it's God's purpose in my life. 
And if you're ready to do that, if you know that God has been chiseling on your heart and chiseling on your heart and chiseling on your heart for eight weeks now, and you know that before this Christmas comes, you want to be sure, sure that you are in Christ, that you have given him your life, that you're ready to serve him, to show up and do whatever he wants you to do. Not just kind of live a cultural American Christianity. God's a benevolent God. God's a critical God. God's a this kind of God and that kind of God. What color is your balloon kind of God? No. A Paul's masterpiece God. If you're ready to do that, then come and take a chiseled stone today as a reminder that today you gave your life to the one who gave his life to you. The stones are all up here, all up here, and all you have to do is come and get one as a reminder that today you said, God, you have chiseled on my heart, and I give my heart to you. That is masterpiece. You are his masterpiece. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for all the things that we've learned throughout this chiseled series. As you have broken open the teachings of Paul, your servant to us, we have learned principles that we can carry with us into the reality of our lives each and every day as we bring real faith and real life together. Father, I pray that right now there's someone in this room, many someones, who want to come for one of these stones saying, I want to really know this, that, that I've given my life to him. Father, let them come to you now. Chisel on their hearts forever and always. For I ask this in this time and in this place, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen.